And so, you know, my job is to hopefully make people feel good about wherever they're at. If you don't want to have any sex, that's cool. If you want to have all the sex with multiple partners, that's also cool. If you don't feel that confident, that's okay too. I mean, not everyone values sex to the same degree. For some people, it's a really important part of their lives. And for other people, it's less so. But we have a tendency to generalize our own experiences universally. So if, you know, if somebody really loves sex, they'll say things like, oh, sex is just so important to a relationship. And I wish people would end all of these statements with, for me. Welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Savannah. That clip you just heard was the wonderful Jess O'Reilly, sex and relationship expert, host of Playboy TV Swing, author, counselor, PhD. Dr. Jess is a sought-after speaker, best-selling author, podcaster, and TV personality. In today's episode, we chat about her doctoral research and the lack of sexual education in the school system, the challenges that come with being a woman of color in the public eye, often discussing controversial topics, her shift in services during COVID and what that looks for her business-wise, and what most people ask her when they need help with their relationship. I hope you enjoy this episode because I'm always looking for guests with just completely different backgrounds. So I hope you find this one interesting. I'm here with Dr. Jess, an award-winning speaker. Jess has worked with thousands of couples from all corners of the globe to transform their relationships via her widely successful Marriage as a Business program. From Prague to New York, her relationship retreats receive rave reviews from some of the most powerful couples in the world who are drawn to her enthusiastic, practical, and no-nonsense approach to happily ever after. Jess's doctoral research focused on sexual health and relationship education, and she is passionate about accessible classroom-based education. You'll find her advice weekly in Women's Health, Men's Fitness, Cosmopolitan, Self, Showtime, The Movie Network. Her insights into couples' issues reach millions of homes across America as the host of the hit reality series Swing. And to top that all off, Dr. Jess is also an accomplished author with three best-selling titles. She does it all. So Dr. Jess, you started off as a high school teacher where you saw the gap in the system. You had young students come to you with unplanned pregnancy and abusive relationships, and you'd realize that teachers don't have the support that they needed in terms of human sexuality and education. So how did you deliver effective sexual health education for both the teachers and the students? Well, for students, it's really about listening to their needs, because I think as adults or as people in positions of authority, we think we know what they need, but we are way out of touch in terms of, you know, the language they're using, the issues they're facing, even the medium through which messages are delivered. And so I think it really is about making it student-centered, which of course I know is a teaching buzzword, but it really means asking them uh, what matters to them. So in the sexual health education context, that might mean you know, uh, helping them to be motivated to learn by letting them share their own stories, their own scenarios. So I don't mean necessarily disclosing personal details, but even just asking them about relationships in their lives. You know, what makes a relationship good? What makes a relationship strained? Can they describe a relationship that's going well at the moment? And can they describe a relationship that they're trying to work on? And so this isn't even about sex. This really is about the way they relate to their friends, to their peers, to their coworkers, to uh, you know their fellow classmates, to their parents, to their siblings. So it really is about just 
starting to talk about relationships, understanding that um, even the language of health is a part of colonization and we need to tear down some of the the elite standards that exist so that students can really center their own learning and we're there to, you know, help offer additional information, provide positive resources and um, make sure that they're feeling empowered because we're not going to be there by their side when it comes to, you know, a a difficult conversation with a potential sexual partner. We're not going to be in their home when they're dealing with maybe a parent whose behavior is toxic. We're not going to be there on the street when they're being harassed. So we want to help them cultivate skills that are going to last a lifetime that are related to communication, assertion, confidence, body image, and all of these things and more intersect with with sex. Um, and then when it comes to teachers, my research, uh, you know, back when I did it, it was a while ago now, what, we, what the literature showed was that only 15% of teacher preparatory programs across the country, so this was in Canada, uh, offered mandatory training in sex ed. So only 15.5% of teachers had this training, and yet they're expected to deliver this topic, which is integrated into, you know, different parts of the curriculum. So for example, in Ontario, my local province, and for if anyone's listening in the States, that's that's just our version of, of the state-level government, uh, it's integrated into the health and physical education curriculum. And so all the students are taking this, but the teachers don't have the supports and tools to teach this highly divisive, highly controversial, highly personal, highly sensitive topic. And so I really believe that in a country like Canada, where over 99% of our students are, you know, going through the school system, this is where we can catch people. This is where we can ensure that the skills that really matter across the span of a lifetime are being taught, being practiced, and we have to support teachers. I mean, there's no textbook. They don't even have a textbook to teach this. Imagine sending them to teach math or history, or geography, or English, without any any books, any supports, any you know um, lessons that make it easier for them to do so. So I think we we need to do more for our teachers, and that's really what I was trying to do in my research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do you still see? I guess you're not as focused on classroom teaching, but do you still see that issue now, and not just in Ontario, but kind of all over Canada as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So my experience, to be fair, is more Ontario centric. But uh, yeah, I still go into the into the classrooms and the pre-service teacher training and I volunteer to do training for them every year. And, you know, what my research found was that even a brief intervention where we help to Um, share resources, share lesson plans, put teachers at ease, can improve their knowledge and comfort with the topics that are of greatest interest to students. But certainly it's still a challenge. I think that we believe we've been through multiple sexual revolutions and we are therefore, um, you know, fully prepared. But the reality is this is a really difficult topic. And this is a topic that intersects with so many layers of of your personhood, of your identity, from gender identity to sexual orientation to religion to political affiliations to family values. And this is another really important piece is that, you know, queer folks, non-binary folks are left out of the curriculum, right? Anytime there's a scenario, we, we still see teachers writing scenarios based on their own personal experience. And, you know, you know, for example, if it's a scenario about one teen pressuring another teen into sex, we've always got kind of a young man pressuring a young woman. And in fact, there aren't always, there isn't always that gender combination in the classroom. And so we need to make sure that uh, specifically people who are already forced to the margins um, and who are, you know, we could say sexual minorities or, you know, who are 
you know, of genders or sexualities who are already marginalized, we need to center these experiences because we can all learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I even looking back at my own high school um, experience with sexual education, it was definitely way more focused um, on the male perspective and it was barely anything for the females. It wasn't like how to pleasure a female. It was just like how to put a condom on a banana and this is what you should do for males, but it was never focused um, towards females. Do you find that's still the case? today? Yeah, certainly there are some, you know, gender stereotypes and gender expectations and the notion that we just separate people based on the gender binary, which of course we know it erases and creates even, you know, more barriers for people who are non-binary, um, people who are agender, people who are gender fluid, uh, people who don't, don't identify as male or female. Uh, and it also, um, you know, even for folks who are cis, uh, meaning that you're, you know, the gender that, that you are, aligns with the gender you were assigned at birth, Um, even people who are cis, even people who are straight, we're, you know, we need to learn all about all of the experiences. So let's take something like menstruation. Why are we only teaching it to people that we identify as female? Everybody needs to learn about that. Everybody needs to learn about the cycle, regardless of of, you know, your sexual orientation or, or gender identity. So I'm seeing some improvements. And with the young pre-service teachers that I that I do see, and, you know, I'm not seeing thousands and thousands and thousands every year, but with the groups that I do see, I see a real desire to, um, to make things more inclusive, to make sure that sex education is, is social justice focused. So I, I'm quite optimistic for what the future holds. Mm-hmm. And I guess you say you kind of stumbled into the field of sexology. So how does one become a sexologist? And is there kind of a formal process now? Or do you need to go and do some research and get some, like a PhD, for example? Uh, no, you don't need a PhD. So sexology is an umbrella term, and it's not a protected um, protected word or protected um I guess, field, like an, a chartered accountant, right? Or, you know, other other areas. In most jurisdictions, it's not protected, which means that, you know, anybody can become a sexologist. And, you know, I, I've, I've had to learn as someone who went through academic schooling that even academia just keeps people out of the field. It's elitist. It's just another group of people deciding that here is a a standard that we must all meet. So there are, my point is there are multiple paths and some of the greatest people in the field I know um, don't have undergrads in the field and some other really fabulous people have postdoctorates. And so there are many different ways to do this. So if, for example, if you want to be a therapist in sexuality, I would suggest you just study in a traditional field of, of therapy, whether you, um, you know, study clinical social work or you study uh, you know, clinical counseling or psychology or marriage and family therapy, and then you can specialize in sexuality. But if you want to be an educator, again, there are, you know, different places you can go and learn. Uh, Modern Sex Therapy Institutes is a, is a place that offers both in-person and online training. Um, there are, there are just multiple places that you can be taking courses. A, a good place to start is to just start volunteering with your local Planned Parenthood or Sexual Health Center or the Sexuality Center at your, at your university. That's how I started, actually. I uh, volunteered. I don't even know why. I I can't say, oh, I've always had an intense passion for this. But I decided to volunteer at the Sexual Health Counseling, Sexual Health Education and Counseling Center at the University of Toronto. And it's been like 20 years, so I might have got the name slightly wrong. I know the acronym was SEX, 
SEC and uh, ended up, you know, being the co-coordinator the following year and learning a lot and facilitating training and taking training. And because I liked it so much, I decided to move into sexual diversity studies as, as my undergrad degree. And again, this was all kind of accidental and it, the passion developed over time. And then the more you work in this field, the more you see that the, the gaps in sexuality and relationship education are really costly to people's mental and physical health. And our relationships are really what make our lives fulfilling. And we, you know, we have data to that effect. Of course, there's your physical and mental health, but also just the relationships you have. And not all of those relationships will be intimate or romantic or sexual, but it's, it's all very closely intertwined. So I feel lucky that I found this field and I'm not doing what I thought I would be doing. You know, I know your, you know, your audience is interested in our path and our story. And when I graduated, uh, having done the research around teachers and the training interventions, I thought, oh, I'll get a job with the school board or I'll get a job with the Ministry of Education. And sure enough, you know, it only took a few minutes for me to figure out that they have no interest in hiring sexologists, especially sexologists who talk about pleasure. And so I had to carve my own path. And so I started writing uh, just on my own blog. And then I started writing for a website in the States. And then I was lucky enough to, you know, land this, this gig on Playboy TV on this reality show and a lot of luck and a lot of privilege there, of course. Uh, and the writing is what really helped me because it was content creation. And then I started, you know, doing just like news segments and morning show segments and then, and speaking. And that transitioned really into what I do now, which is primarily a speaking career. So I really work anywhere in the world. I mean, not right now because it's the middle of uh, COVID. I work from home on Zoom, but primarily I'm traveling every single week, usually to a different country, to work with either entrepreneurs and CEOs and their partners on their relationships. So sexology is a bit of the brand, but the focus really is relationships. Mm -hmm. So when you tell people you're a sexologist, what do most people respond to you? It's really a mix of extreme discomfort or extreme excitement. So they either want to tell me their life story or tell me some story that they think I'm going to be fascinated by, um, or they want to run away. But I would say more people are are fascinated. Uh, sexuality is is one of those areas where we all struggle. And so you might be at a really good point in your life right now. And then six months from now, it could be something entirely different. So I think oftentimes we think, oh, you either are sexually empowered or you are not, or you are sexually confident or you are not. But the reality is that all of, you know, empowerment, confidence, self-esteem, these are experiences. They're not static states of being. And so, you know, my job is to hopefully make people feel good about wherever they're at. If you don't want to have any sex, that's cool. If you want to have all the sex with multiple partners, that's also cool. If you feel really confident sexually, that's cool. And if you don't feel that confident, that's okay too. I mean, not everyone values sex to the same degree. For some people, it's a really important part of their lives. And for other people, it's less so. But we have a tendency to generalize our own experiences universally. So if, you know, if somebody really loves sex or if, you know, sex is an important part of their relationship, they'll say things like, oh, sex is just so important to a relationship. And I wish people would end all of these statements with, for me, sex is a really important part of the relationship for me, because it may be for me and it may not be for you. And I, I can say, you know, over the course of, of my lifetime, not, it's not that long, but um, it's fluctuated in terms of its importance. My values have fluctuated. Even the definition of sex itself has fluctuated. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, so most of what you do is public speaking to large audiences, I guess, before COVID, but you still do that. So um, how did you find your own self-confidence to speak in front of a large stage and then talking about a topic that be can, can, that can be considered controversial? So yeah, how did you find path your way to um, good public speaking? It's interesting because I derive power from it. Like I love being on a stage and the bigger the audience, the better. And I think that might have to do with detaching myself from the experience. You know, if you're in a very intimate group, you're making eye contact, you're really aware of all of their reactions. Uh, Whereas if you're on a big stage with bright lights, uh, you're you're really, you're performing up there. And so, I I mean, I I joke that my confidence just comes from my cultural background. I'm I'm Chinese Jamaican on my mom's side. And, you know, we, we just love to talk. The whole family loves to talk. You can't shut us up. You can't hear anyone. We need to work on our listening skills. Um, so I think it's, you know, part of just who I am and what, I, what I'm accustomed to. Also, interestingly, teaching requires public speaking. So, you know, I had that experience from teaching and, and I've been teaching since I was so young. I remember I taught swimming lessons from when I think I was 15 years old. Uh, and then I, you know, worked at day camps. And so I was always working with young people and, Uh, Yes, so I had lots of practice. And then over the years, uh, what I've learned is that uh, you asked about teaching such a difficult, controversial topic. It's all humor, right? I I gauge the success of my speeches on the volume of, of laughter in the audience because it's not that I don't take the topic seriously, but you're more likely to kind of, I want to say, take the medicine with a spoonful of sugar. So you don't even, I want you to not even realize you're learning. I I don't, you don't even need to have an aha moment at that moment in time. If a message that I'm conveying, for example, around just, you know, feeling good with who you are, whether you're asexual, whether, you know, however you identify, um, I hope that you take that message and almost don't even notice that it's standing out. Some people already just sit there and listen and take in everything you've got to say. But for most people, uh, you need to find an entertaining delivery medium. And that's what I try and do with humor. And I know that you've worked with so many different clients. Have you ever had a time where you felt personally like you've failed them or? um, All the time. (laughs) how, How did you deal with that? How do I deal with that? So um, I got to tell you, it's a real challenge for me. So if you see me speak on stage, if you listen to my podcast, I certainly sound, I think, self-assured, but like any human, uh, I'm not. I, I, I second guess myself all the time. I deal with imposter syndrome all the time. You know, I'm a mixed race woman. Um, I, I wasn't raised to believe I can do anything I want. Like some, you know, I think more like white North Americans are, are kind of delivered that message and embrace that message. So, you know, I, I have, I, I have a podcast. My podcast is the sex with Dr. Jess podcast. And, you know, sometimes people write in responses that they hated what I said. They hated that I gave my guest a platform. They totally disagree. I missed the mark on something. And I have, to, I struggle with my own perfectionism. You know, I want to defend myself. I want to get defensive, but I have to just take it as a learning opportunity and say like, yeah, man, I, I missed that. And, and you know that in any podcast, we don't say everything we want to say. I'll hang up after this and say, oh, damn, I, I wish I had also shared this. And so, you know, that's, I guess, the benefit of, of social media and public platforms that we can continue to share our insights. And I, I also really recognize that I don't have the answers. I have some research, you know, I engage with the research and data. I certainly have some insights because I hear from so many people, you know, thousands of people every year are telling me their stories. 
but I don't have all the answers because there is no answer when it comes to human variation. What works for 999 people may not work for the thousandth person. So, you know, even I I do business coaching because I do so much media and get so much PR, people want to learn how. And, um, you know, my path works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for every single person. Uh, similarly, when it comes to sex, you can imagine it's even more varied than, than business. Yeah. So when you give advice, how much of it is based on research, your experience, um, other people's experiences, like some of your clients' experience? So yeah, what's the breakdown of that? I don't know that I can give you a percentage. I always like to lead with what the data says if the data exists. But we also have to remember that humans are not, you know, we're not a piece of data. Uh, I mean, we can be used as such, but you're not just an average. So if I say, you know, the average couple in their 40s with kids has sex two to four times a week, um, that might be useful to you to hear. It might be reassuring. It might be motivating, but it also might be entirely irrelevant because maybe you don't feel connected to your partner unless you have sex more regularly. Um, we also have to remember that even definitions of, of sex vary immensely from person to person. So I like to lead with the data, um, share a story, usually not my own, because uh, you know that that would just make me somebody with experience. But as an expert, I actually get, and I'm not saying I have all the expertise, but I actually get to hear, as I said, hundreds of stories, thousands of stories. Um, so I can share those perspectives and share those experiences. And then people can take the data, take those insights or experiences and see how it fits into their lives. And that's where ultimately you are the expert. You are the ultimate expert in your own sexuality and relationships. And having said that, I challenge people to dig a little bit deeper when it comes to their sexual needs, relational values, because we say that the most important thing in our lives are our relationships, but we don't treat them as such. We don't study. We don't consider. We don't get introspective. We don't do workbooks. We don't journal about relationships the way we do, for example, about business or fitness or finance or overall health. And so I just wrote a new book called The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay with with a co-author, Marla Renee Stewart. And we spent a lot of time not just looking at the theory around sexuality, but giving people in this book hundreds of exercises, prompts, questions to get them started and thinking about what does sex mean to you? What early messages did you read? Did you learn about sex from the adults in your life, from your peers? Which of these messages do you still value and want to retain? Which ones do you want to maybe rework and retool and relinquish? You know, we we have to consider all of these dimensions of sexuality in order to, to have happy sex lives. So that's what I try and do, you know, in business is create tools that people can use right away to actually change the way they think, perhaps change the way they behave so that they can feel better about themselves and have more fulfilling lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that you mentioned that you've said um, you also get obviously a lot of hate, unfortunately, so, <laughs> and it can be really tough and um, and being in the public eye as well. So is this kind of a career that you see yourself going through? Obviously, there are so many pros to what you're doing, but there are cons um, as well. Um, so, yeah, is this a career that you see yourself continuing down the future or do you see yourself pivoting careers? Well, the the brand is actually taking a bit of a pivot right now. Um 
And that we, we are Sex with Dr. Jess. That's the brand I've built. Uh, we have like a really great following on social. We have the podcast. We have the books. We have the online courses. But we're actually shifting and rebranding to a new brand called Happier Couples. And what you bring up is part of my motivation for doing that. So in part, I'm motivated by the fact that I want to work with more people. I want to bring more people from my field into, into the mix so that we can share perspectives beyond my own. So I wanted to take my name out of it. But also there's a personal desire to not always have my face on everything. Um, you know, I'm on TV all the time and people are like, oh, you're great on TV, but it's not my favorite thing to do. I do it because, you know, it can be fun and it's important for the brand. But there, there is, a, you know, an emotional and personal toll that, that you that you deal with when you're in the public eye. And it, and I don't have a thick skin. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, again, when I stand on stage, I'm loud and I'm confident and I am, and I, that is me. But also part of me is that I'm sensitive and it, you know, it, it doesn't feel good to, um, of course, deal with criticism, which I have to learn to, to take. Um, I'm also a little bit conflict averse. <laughs> And I'm working on that. And so, yeah, I think that I'm um, sure you can develop more of a thick skin. You develop different tools um, and strategies. So, for example, I have a really incredible support network. I'm a really lucky person with, with my life partner, Brandon, with my closest friends, with a couple of people in my industry who are so supportive of me, uh, mostly other women of color, honestly, um, who I can turn to when, when I need that support. So that's a big piece of it. I also don't read all everything, right? Like I have a TED talk called monogamish. And let me tell you, it is very light. It is not particularly radical, um, but just the title alone sets people off. And I'm, I'm sure there are, we have millions of views on it. So I'm sure there, you know, I looked once by accident, I swear to God, it was by accident um, at the comments and you end up crying. So I've, I've just never read them. So I don't go and read those things. And I know that, you know, a par- an important part of being online is engaging with your audience, but you do have to pick your poison and pick your platforms. You know, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the blog, the podcast, a few things on YouTube. Um, I engage on Instagram. Um, somebody else helps me with my Twitter. I don't engage with every single thing. I don't, you know, people contact me off my website. It doesn't necessarily go straight to me. So I'm lucky to have um, a team to assist with that. But uh, yeah, do I see myself in this forever? Uh, I see myself in the, in the short to midterm continuing to work in this field, but I'm already shifting so that I will be partly on the back end with this new brand, Happier Couples, because we have a number of online course offerings. And uh, I, you know, I have most of the courses, I'm hosting them. But what I really want to do is produce courses with other brilliant minds in the field, and especially uh, folks who are forced to the margins. So especially people of color and Black people, Indigenous folks, um, queer folks who maybe don't have the platform that I have, but have all the skill and all the talent. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're, you're doing that. It's great. And um, have you noticed that your services have kind of increased or decreased during COVID? Uh, certainly they've, they've shifted. So uh, I, you know, in the course of, you know, the last few months, I was supposed to be really all over the world from like Portugal to Greece, to Italy, to Jamaica, to Mexico. Those, that's where my bookings were. So obviously all of those were canceled. Um, some of them have moved online. And so I'm doing some of these speeches online, but you know, I, I say the word speech, my, my work is not really speeches. It's kind of more speaking and workshops. And so it is far more difficult to facilitate those online. Online. Uh, so I would say time-wise, I'm just as busy, <laughs> but uh, the excitement isn't as intense for me because I love my lifestyle. I know most people wouldn't love 
you know, getting on a plane day in, day out. So, you know, in February, for example, I got on a plane every morning for, I don't know, 20 days straight, but that doesn't bother me. I I love it. It's exhilarating to me. So I really miss that. Uh, But I've been lucky that I've been able to adapt and do some of the, the work online. So even television studios, you know, this morning I was on global television in Canada. Uh, they just call me via Skype and they do the interview. Similarly, you know, tomorrow I have a group in, in India and we just do it over Zoom. So I feel really thankful that I'm still able to do these things. Yeah. Wow. And just a last question. Um, so what are, what are the most common questions that you kind of get asked by clients? And I'm, apart from like, am I normal? What are some other ones that you usually get? Um, So I get a lot of, how do I get my partner to, how do I get my partner to open up? How do I get my partner to have more sex? How do I get my partner to try this? And when I receive those type of questions, I like to kind of shift the script back to what you can do. Because oftentimes when we see a deficit in our relationship or a business, or in our sex lives, or in any area of our lives, we look for external sources for that deficit. But uh, you don't have any control over those external sources. You can't get your partner to open up. You can't have your partner relinquish sexual shame. So any question you're asking of them, I would suggest that you ask of yourself first. Because when we say, oh, you know, my partner is just not as open as me, um, not only is that highly subjective, there's, it's laden with judgment. So rather than looking at the ways in which they aren't open, why don't you start to look at what holds you back sexually? Look at what stops you from opening up. And then also, how do you interact or communicate with your partner that may hinder their willingness to open up. So yeah, that's a really common one. How how do I get my partner to? (laughs) Uh, And then the other big one is like, how do I start this conversation? And so uh, any conversation I think that is sensitive and emotional and potentially intense can be started by turning to popular media and popular culture. So whatever media you're consuming, whether you're watching a show on Netflix or listening to a podcast or reading a magazine, that can create a bridge to a conversation because it becomes as simple as, oh, what did you think of that that scene the other night? Or how did you feel about that interaction? Or what, how did you feel when she spoke to her that way? Or, oh, I was reading this article and I, I read about this concept. What do you think about it? So I definitely think that a great way to start conversations is through popular media. And that that's a very common question I get. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. And I love that the work that you're doing as well. And it's so great to see um, another woman, a mixed woman um, of color, um, using her platform to speak about a topic like this that's so important that it's definitely um, people are not like aware of it or especially in, in the education system. There's definitely not more of it. So I appreciate the work that you're doing. And I want to thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting with you. And that was Dr. Jess. Thank you so much for listening. I'll make sure to include her podcast, Sex with Dr. Jess, as well as some of the books that she's written that you can find on Amazon. So thanks for listening again and see you next week.